morning. Good thing about it being so cold is hopefully no one will fall asleep. But I will point you out if you do. Um, as Abby said, this morning we're starting a new preach series called Devoted. Um, this is a series that's going to run for four weeks, starting today, obviously. Um, as well as me, we're going to be hearing from Paul Mann when he gets back from India, um, Al Wales, and Paul Brown, who Abby just mentioned, our guest speaker in a few weeks' time. Um, and this morning we are going to start by looking at God's heart, God's vision for those in poverty. But before we get into that, I just want to explain a little bit about this series. It's basically going to be about the call of God on each one of us individually, but also the call of God on us collectively as a church to alleviate poverty in our communities and to support people who are in poverty, to see them, to see us completely raised out of it. The reason the series is called Devoted is because in Titus 3, it will come up on the screen, it says this. But when the, kindness, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Those who have believed in God should be careful to devote themselves to good works. A few verses later, it says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, then you have been saved by the goodness and the loving kindness of God. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not because of any good works you've done. You can give to the food bank as much as you like. It will not earn you favor with God. It will not earn you righteousness with God. You can spend as much time reaching out to isolated elderly people as you like. You can pay off the debts of people around you. You can give to people begging on the streets. These are good things to do, but they will not earn you your salvation. We don't get saved by our good works. We are saved by the astonishing mercy and grace of God. We are saved because Jesus died in our place. He substituted my sin and your sin for his good works, for his righteousness, his perfect life, and rose from the dead that we might become children of God. And the Bible says that if you have accepted Jesus, that is what you are, a child of the living God. However... What this passage in Titus goes on to say, as well as saying that we've been saved by the goodness and the loving kindness of God and totally by his mercy, it goes on to say those who have believed in God should be careful to devote themselves to good works. God's favor towards us is based solely, totally and utterly on his goodness, his loving kindness and his mercy. But we are called to invest our lives, to devote ourselves to good works as an expression of our devotion to God. Respected theologian and author John Stott puts it like this, good works are not the ground of salvation, but they are its necessary fruit and evidence. Other commentators, basically this is four commentators in one book, so I wouldn't, I'm not going to list all four of their names, but they say this, a life of good works is God's purpose and the only appropriate behavior for all who enjoy the benefits of his redeeming grace and saving mercy. We don't do our good works to earn our way into heaven, to earn our way into God's favor. 
But once we've come to know God, once we've seen how wonderful and kind and merciful and loving and generous he has been towards us, the natural response is to devote our lives to good works. When we read the Gospels and we see Jesus and we look at how compassionate he is, I don't know about you, but to me it's powerful and it makes me want to be more compassionate. When we see his kindness, it's breathtaking and it makes me want to be more kind. When we see his holiness, it's so beautiful that it just makes us want to be like him and live pure and righteous lives. In Titus 3, as I've said, it says this, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. You know, there are lots of cases of urgent need all around us. We don't have to go far to find them. To be honest, you could come up here and spend 10 minutes in the food bank on a Friday and you will see there are cases of urgent need all around us. We don't have to look hard to find an opportunity to do good, to devote ourselves to good works. And so this preach series is all about that. It's all about being devoted to good works. It's part of three series that we're actually running back to back that kind of express something of what as a church we feel called to. So one of the things that we feel called to as a church is to go on mission. And for the last three weeks, we've been hearing about that and what that means. Also as a church, we believe that we are called to make disciples. And once this series is finished, we'll be having a series on that as well. But the third thing is that we believe that as a church, we are called to care for those in poverty. And that's what this series is all about. And you know what? When it comes to being devoted to good works, I think it's fairly easy to make a case that as a church, we are devoted to good works, to tackling the urgent needs around us. In the last year, we gave out the equivalent of 101,610 meals through the food bank. That's astonishing, isn't it? Just let that number, it's a big number. Let it sink in for a moment. Also, last year, through our Baby Basics project, we helped 103 vulnerable pregnant women across Hastings and Rother. In partnership with six other local churches, we've helped 40 families to go debt-free in the last year. Through our involvement in the Syrian Resettlement Project, we've supported 120 people who have fled from war-torn, devastated nation of Syria. We're currently mentoring seven primary school kids, that's kids aged between 7 and 11 years old, who are at risk of exclusion from their school to try and help them stay in school. We've partnered again with other churches to give supported accommodation to six homeless men in Hastings. We continue as a church to support survivors of modern slavery and to work with local police to tackle human trafficking. Through Reflect, we continue to support people who are experiencing crisis pregnancies and to offer post-abortion counselling. Our long-running Link Lunch Club provides friendship, fun and food for some who are isolated and elderly in our communities. And TOTS Club supports parents and toddlers both in Hastings and in Battle. And then as well as all these projects, that's a lot, isn't it? It's astonishing as a church and what we're doing with other churches in the town to tackle the needs around us. But as well as this, we are actively working towards launching a venue in central St. Leonard's, one of the most deprived parts of Hastings and Rother. 
And in addition to that, you know, we've recently refurbished this main auditorium for a number of reasons, but one of them is because we're looking to create space for the warehouse which is behind that wall and for the community action hub where we want to continue to improve everything we're doing not just that we might give people a handout at their point of crisis, but that we might actually look to strategically and intentionally lift people completely out of poverty. As a church, I'm so proud to be part of this church where we are devoted to good works. And many of us in this room have devoted ourselves, giving our own time, our own money, our own energy to helping in cases of urgent need around us. You know, I think the word devoted is such an interesting word, isn't it? I find it interesting that that's the word used in Titus because it goes way beyond something we just add on to our lives. It goes way beyond something we fit in when we get around to it. It's actually about a heart issue. It's about our hearts. What it actually means is to be zealous, dedicated, faithful, committed, and steadfast. And, you know, we become devoted when we're so impacted by Jesus the way he lived, the way he acted, the way he treated people, the way he taught us to treat people, when we're so impacted by his life and we're so impacted by the needs around us that we can't help but do something about it. It's our devotion to God first and foremost. Our devotion to this wonderful God who has reached out and grabbed hold of us and poured out his mercy upon us. It's our devotion to him that causes a response in our hearts that we want to bring him glory, we want to be like him, but we also want to do good to those around us, to do his work. To be devoted to him, we need to see what he's like. We need to see what he's like and understand his heart. And that's why, especially this morning, we're going to be looking at God's heart, God's vision for those in poverty around us. So we're going to turn, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 61, but the words will come up on the screen as well. This is actually um, some of these verses Jesus quoted when he started his ministry. So for Jesus, this wasn't an optional extra. It wasn't something he did when he got round to it. Some of these verses were at the heart of the entire life and ministry of Jesus. So it says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of a faint spirit. You know, poverty actually in its broadest sense is much more than just not being able to have the money to pay for food or shelter or uh, clothing, although obviously it is those things. But poverty can be much more than that. It can be about being isolated, being brokenhearted, feeling like you don't have a family, or maybe actually literally not having a family, being bound up. People can sink into economic poverty, but they can also struggle with relational poverty, just not having a support network around them. And aspirational poverty too. In its, in its broad sense, poverty is actually being, feeling like you're hopelessly trapped in your situation and you can't think of any way out of it. And in Isaiah 61, we see poverty here in its broadest sense. We see that God brings good news to those who are poor in every sense of the word. That he is compassionate and just. That he brings good news to those in poverty. He binds up the brokenhearted. 
He proclaims liberty to the captives. He releases those who are bound. He proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And what that means is that is the day when justice is coming in all its fullness. Every wrong will be made right because God will bring everything to be perfectly in line with his justice. He's the comforter to those who mourn. He's the one who swaps out ashes for his beauty. He's the one who pours out gladness and praise on us. This is what Jesus is like. And he calls us to be like him. I think that's astonishing. I think it's amazing. We don't just get saved. We don't just get rescued. We don't just get our sins forgiven. But there's this wonderful invitation from Jesus where he says, come and be like me. I don't know about you, but I often don't sit around thinking, oh, I'm so like Jesus. Don't have to comment on that. We get to be like Jesus. That is what the Christian life is actually about. It's going from one degree of glory to another as we become more and more and more like Jesus. We have an opportunity to be like Jesus in how we treat those in poverty around us. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that actually our response to him should be that we feed the hungry, that we visit the sick, that we reach out to the imprisoned, that we clothe those without clothes, that we support the widow and orphan, that we unchain those who are enslaved, that we love our neighbours and that we even love our enemies too. But God's vision for people in poverty actually goes way beyond just that. That is all wonderful and it's good and it's important. But in Isaiah 61, we go on to read that what happens next is this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Do you know, in the late 90s, there was a headline about Hastings in a national newspaper that called it Hell on Sea. That sounds like a place that's been devastated for generations, doesn't it? And God's vision for people in poverty isn't just to be helped with their urgent need, not just with their immediate crisis, as important and vital as that is, but it's that they should not just be given a hand out, but also be given a hand up. That they should be lifted up out of poverty, anchored away from it, so that they're not permanently living on the edge, wondering when they're going to fall back into it, but they're anchored so far out of it, so securely out of it, that they can be then those who go and lift other people out of poverty too. That they can then be those who begin to repair and restore and renew and rebuild others. This is central to the gospel. It's not something to think about when we've kind of done all the other important bits. It's not some way down the list. It's central to the gospel of Jesus Christ because God's plan for us is wholehearted life change. Lifting people out of dire circumstances is what God does. Isn't it? It's what he specializes in. And he calls us to do that too as his followers. And you know what? This is my story. And for many, it'll be your story too. I know that some of you remember me when I became a Christian, when I was 15. It's a little bit laughter down here on the front row. You know, some of us here, um, other people might see us as oaks of righteousness. 
But we are well aware of where we came from. We are well aware that we were acorns of poverty and captivity and brokenheartedness and so on. And you know, some of you, you know my background, but for those who don't, I became a Christian when I was 15. Um, and before that, I'd grown up in relative poverty. Um, I started out living in Kennedy Court, you know, one of the four courts in Hollington. Um, and I had this conversation with my mum recently where I said to her, I just wanted to check, this was about a year ago, I just wanted to check with her that when we lived in Kennedy Court that it was social housing because I didn't want to say that um, if it wasn't true, obviously. And so I phoned her up and I said, when we lived in Kennedy Court, was it, was it social housing? Was it a council flat? She's like, I've never lived in a council flat. How dare you say that? She got really aggravated about it and I was like, all right. Sorry, Mum, I don't know, you don't need to be that offended about it. And then about two hours later, she texted me and said, I've just remembered that when we lived in that flat, we paid rent to the council. <laughs> Does that mean it was a council flat? It's like, yes, Mum. My Mum's got a great way of rewriting our history. She'll love it that I've shared this. But, you know, I invited her this morning, and if she'd been here, I wouldn't have said it. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble. Don't grasp me up. But anyway, then at primary school, I had free school meals as a kid. Only uh, two in my class had free school meals. And it wasn't something that I was ashamed of. It was something I was happy about. I was really pleased. It meant I got hot food at lunchtime. And we, the two of us got to go first before everyone else. And none of the other kids looked that thrilled about their soggy sandwiches from home anyway. So I thought it was great. You know, before, some of you will have heard me say this before, that before I became a Christian, I'd never seen food served in separate dishes. You know, like meat in one dish, vegetables in another, and potatoes in another. I literally, the first time I ever saw that was at Chloe's house when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, what's this? It's weird. Genuinely hadn't seen it before. Um, there are a couple here in the church called Simon and Alison Wong, who some of you will know. And a couple of years ago, I said to them... What was I like when I first became a Christian? Um, they were youth leaders here when I was 15. And Simon wrote back to me, you were a right screwed up mess. It's all right, don't sugarcoat it, Simon, you know, it's all right, isn't it? But you know what, it's true. In, the first, in my first few years as a Christian, my life was incredibly messy. And some of you in this church were instrumental in God's work in my life to start that journey of becoming an oak of righteousness, that journey that still continues today. Tony and Judy took me in when I was 19 years old and had nowhere else to live. I remember conversations with Judy where she told me it was really important to eat well and sleep well, and I thought she was totally balmy. But it turns out she was right, and that was a really valuable life lesson. I mean, she might be balmy too, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Judy, I couldn't resist that. There was too much chuckling going on down here that I thought I had to say that. But you know what, they took me in and they taught me valuable life lessons, even though I wasn't really in a place to hear them at the time. And then I went away to university, the first person in my family ever to go to university. Um, but, and I went before tuition fees, so I didn't need to get into the huge amounts of debt that people need to get into these days. But I didn't really have enough money to get by. And even though some of the time I worked two jobs to try and make ends meet... There were times when, particularly when I was studying journalism in London, where on a Saturday, part of my routine was to go out and to look for change on the streets because I didn't have enough money. And if I found money on the streets, which actually often did, I think that's partly God's provision and partly just if you look hard enough, you can find it. But, you know, what I would do with that money is I would prioritise smoking over eating. 
because I was more addicted to smoking than I was to eating. When I came back to Hastings, I was in so much debt that a specialist in the church advised me to declare myself bankrupt because it looked like the only option for me and the only hope. And some of my debt was necessity. Some of it was. Some of it was that I got into debt to pay the bills. Some of it was that I needed it to get into debt to get myself through university just to live. But a large portion of it was actually bad decisions that I made. I used to spend money on things that I didn't need, but that I wanted, and I was pretty reckless with it because I didn't really know how to handle my money. And do you know what? That's often the case with many of us, that when bad things happen in our lives, often it can be circumstances beyond our control, but sometimes decisions that we make too. And the wonderful thing about God is that he reacts the same in both situations and wants to lift us out of them because he's merciful and because he's kind. You know, we hear sometimes about stereotypes of people in poverty. Well, I lived up to some of those. So, for example, for a year, my sister and I were unemployed together, and we used to sit around in our pyjamas all day, and then when we had to go to the job centre, we would put our clothes on over our pyjamas, and we would walk all the way from Bexhill Road up to Ashdown House with our pyjamas on under our clothes, smoking as we went so that we could go and sign on. We were both living with my mum at that point, and... I'd moved back in with her, but for the first 18 months, I had to sleep on the floor because there wasn't a bed for me. And even more recently, just nine years ago, I was made redundant from my job and was then unemployed for six months and couldn't find a job until Paul Mann took pity on me. I shouldn't say that. I'm getting in trouble for that. I'm going to get in trouble for so much. So what is God's vision, though, for someone like me? What is God's vision for people who are in much worse circumstances than I've ever experienced. It's not just that we'd be debt-free, that we'd be employed, that we'd be able to afford food, that we wouldn't have to go looking for change on the streets. Actually, it goes way beyond that. Whatever my background, actually despite my background, and even because of my background, God has called me to be an oak of righteousness for his glory. And he has called me to be someone who restores others, who repairs others, who renews others, who restores ruins. You know, in my own life, God has done astonishing things. For those of you who have known me for a long time, aren't you just as amazed as I am at some of what God has done? Do you know what? It's astonishing. For those who knew me when I was 15 or 20 or 25, who would have imagined what God could do? You know, I had the opportunity before I worked for the church, to work for the Safer Hastings Partnership, making the town a safer place and communicating with residents of the town about how safe they were compared to previous years. And even went on to win a national award and have other towns look in and copy our work in that area. I've had the opportunity to influence the leadership of this church to push us further and further into social action and care for those in poverty. I get the privilege now to speak at other churches and Christian events and to write as well about poverty. And then on the back of that, to hear from other churches about how they've set up projects or they've pushed further into this area or they've committed themselves to it, maybe even sometimes for the first time. Sometimes I get to teach future leaders about God's heart for those in poverty. And who knows what they'll go on to do on the back of that. I think the most important thing is actually working with individuals and helping individuals. And by that, I mean people who are my friends. 
who've become my friends and seeing them transformed into oaks of righteousness is the greatest privilege of all. In a few weeks' time, I'm going to start working in Parliament one day a week to try and get the law changed on youth violence and knife crime, which disproportionately affects young people who grow up in poverty. What God has done, I'm not saying these things to boast, I'm not saying these things to go, wow, look at me, not at all. I'm saying these things because only God, only God can take a life that is so messy and so broken and so chaotic and transform it for his glory and to have an impact for the good of others. And that's not just his vision for me, that's his vision for all of us. It's his vision for people who've had much worse experiences than I've ever had. It's his vision for people who've had much better experiences than I've ever had. God is in the business of totally transforming lives. You know, I think it's incredible that I was in so much debt and so felt so trapped in debt, felt so overwhelmed with debt. And then I trained to do the CAP uh, budgeting course so that I could help other people get out of debt. That is the sort of thing that God does. He takes something that you've experienced that you were really bad at, that you were really weak at, and he loves to transform it and lead you out of it, but also then help you lead others out of it too. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that God utterly transforms us. God's vision for people in poverty is that they would know, that we would know how loved we are by him, how utterly loved we are. God's vision is to provide for people's needs. That is so important. We mustn't let that get lost in everything else I've said. Although God's vision is bigger than providing for people's needs, God absolutely wants to do that. We see that in the life of Jesus, that he met people's immediate needs first. He always met people's immediate needs first. God's heart is that for those in poverty, that we would receive honour instead of shame. There's so much shame associated with some of our backgrounds. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even some of the stories that I have shared about my own life, they're things I I feel ashamed of, but I know that they're important to share. God's promise to me and to those of a similar background is that we would know honor instead of shame. In Isaiah 61 verse 7, it says, God will replace the shame of those in poverty with honor and rejoicing. It's just what he loves to do. Because God loves to take those that the world would write off. Those that society would say, you've got nothing to contribute, you've got nothing to offer. He loves to take those people and totally turn them around for his glory. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how we, those of us who follow Jesus, are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ together. That means some of us are like eyes with particular job to do. Some of us are like toes with particular jobs to do. But you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 is that God honors the parts that others would consider shameful. You know, for those of you here, you may feel, I don't know what my part is. I don't feel like I've got a role to play. I don't know that God's got any plans for me. How can I be used? How can I make a difference? God says it's exactly someone like you that he wants to utterly transform so you can make a difference. And God's vision for people in poverty also is that they would be elevated and lifted up. 
Like I said, Isaiah talks about the long, devastated places and says that those who are saved out of poverty will be those who rebuild them. And in James 2, it talks about those in poverty, those who are poor, being chosen by God to be rich in faith. To be rich in faith. If you've ever had the privilege of going to a nation that's experienced abject poverty, what you'll see there is that often their faith is so much more vibrant than ours. Paul and the team will be seeing that in India right now. People with astonishing, mind-blowing faith because God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. You know, one thing I think I'm not very good at is being patient with my own growth or patient with the growth of others. And if we want to see people utterly lifted out of poverty and transformed, we need to be patient. Because I looked up, um, how long does it take an oak tree to grow? Apparently, it can take 100 years for some oak trees to reach their full maturity, their full height. For other species of oak, it can take 50 years. And it says that the fastest growing oak takes 20 years to reach full height. We need to be mindful with ourselves and with each other that God is growing us into mighty oaks and that doesn't happen overnight. It's years and years of us investing in the people around us, investing in other people, giving our time, giving our energy for the long haul to people. But that will happen when we catch a much bigger vision for people in poverty. We're going to be looking at this over the next three weeks as well. So in one sense, the response is to ponder and to contemplate and to pray. This morning we've launched um, a reading plan in the app. So we've got a King's Church app. You can download it onto your device. And we've started a Bible reading plan that starts today and over the next three weeks will take us through various passages of the Bible that as we meditate on them, as we think about them, can just sink into our hearts and allow God to shape us and to give us a much bigger vision for people in poverty. As well as that, Abby mentioned in the notices that in two weeks' time, we're going to have a social action-specific gift day on Sunday the 9th of February. And do you know what? Poverty in Hastings and Bexhill is actually getting worse. Whether we look at the stats around food bank use or homelessness or addiction, the stats are worrying, and the trajectory they're heading in is even more concerning. But the leadership team here, myself included, are increasingly convinced that there is a need for us not to just help people at the point of crisis, but to truly see people lifted up out of poverty and then able to stay out of poverty. And this is partly what the Community Action Hub is all about. It's about having a space where we can work with others, others in the town, other churches, um, but other agencies, lots of different groups, to offer robust and holistic support for people who are in poverty. We've already had tentative interest from Citizens Advice and the Job Centre about using the space with us and about working with us in it. Even the Department for Work and Pensions permanent secretary, who is the most senior civil servant in that department, has said that he's interested in looking at how do we use that space well together to see people freed from poverty. It's astonishing what God is doing with this little church, isn't it, really? And the churches that we work with. Our vision is that Kings will become known as a place where you not only get help in your time of urgent need, but also where you can be supported, equipped and empowered to be freed from poverty entirely and then to be anchored out of it, away from it, never to be swept into it again. 
But to do this, we need resources. We need funding to continue what we're doing and to be more strategic and intentional as we head into all that God's called us to for the future. It's not just about money. I'd love for you to pray over the next couple of weeks, God, what can I give? But not just to be thinking financially, but thinking, what skills have I got? If we're going to develop a strategy that sees more and more people lifted out of poverty, there will be dozens of people in this room who have skills that we need to talk to you about and get your help with. You might think, actually, I've got time. You might have time you can give. So I'd just like to invite you over the next couple of weeks to just spend some time praying. God, how do you want me to get involved? If this is your vision, if this is your heart for people in poverty, and we know there are people in poverty around us in our community, what do you want from me? It's just a great question to ask God. So I have to head off to Bexhill now and say the same thing again. But Paul Edward is going to come up and just lead us in a bit of a response. But like I say, the bigger response is to think over the next couple of weeks, God, what do you want from me in this whole area? Okay, thank you. Brilliant. Um, can I ask us all to stand? Is that all right? Thanks, John. <laughs> and um, as a response, I think Nat, Nat's just given us some responses anyway. So we've got the Bible reading app plan on the app and different things like that. For me, as I was thinking about the response to this kind of message, which I thought was brilliant, it's so honest. It's, it's one of them grounded kind of things that is really good to hear and Nat's bravery to kind of say some of her own story in that as well. For me, it just sits there... And it kind of makes me think, right, what, what am I going to do with that? In all honesty, what, what am I going to go away and take away? Do I go and pray and things like that? Yeah, definitely go and pray. But what I was thinking was, for me, I think I'm going to commit to reading that Bible app stuff and just let it soak in and kind of let it work its way through. Because I'm just, I think a lot of this is about attitude as well as action. It's about what we carry. It's about letting it change who we are and how we view everyone and the place where we live and the people around us and the place around us. And I think the gospel does that. And um, so I think kind of a response. I'm going to pray in a minute. If you're up for kind of saying over the next three or four weeks, God, come and change my heart a bit more. Let your truth come in. And, and kind of, I want to walk out of this series different to how I'm walking now. I want to view people differently. I want to tackle poverty, kind of, not just help people, kind of, in one way, but literally, what did, what did Nat say? Not, not a hand out, but a hand up. I want to be a part of, actually, the gospel is about lifting people out and up, and real freedom like that. If you're up for that, just kind of, I don't know, in your own heart, just as I'm praying. If you're not, it's fine, but just as, just as I'm praying. You might just want to say a big amen at the end as a, yeah, I'm up for the next three or four weeks, God speak to me. Does that make sense? It was waffly, wasn't it? I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you for what we've just heard. I thank you for a living and active word, whether it's from Titus or whether it's from Isaiah, the whole thing. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you came and dealt with immediate needs, but you dealt with the, the heart, the real needs, all of our life. God, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. It wasn't just a one-off moment. You didn't come and just stick a plaster on a wound. You healed you brought healing, life and life to the full, is what you promised. 
And from what we read, that's what you brought. And so over the next three or four weeks, as we hear more about being devoted, about having a heart, about being oaks of righteousness, and all this, all this stuff that we just heard. For those that are up for it in here, Lord, we just want to say, come and speak to us over the next three or four weeks. Bring revelation. Help our hearts be more open. Pray to, thank you for living an active word. I've said that a lot this morning, but I just pray that the word will be living and active and will grow in our hearts and overflow into action and attitude. Pray that as we go, you be, we begin to see things maybe a bit differently. But God be at work in our lives, we pray. And so our response this morning, will be to go away and think, will be to go away and read, will be to go away and allow you just to come and speak just a bit at a time and guide us and teach us in the way that we should go. We pray this in your name, Jesus. We say, come and speak. Come and work. Come and act over the next three or four weeks, we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's nice to see everyone this morning. There are hot drinks in coffee box. Don't all rush. <laughs> okay. Hold it back. And uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for, thanks for putting up for the cold. Sorry about that. But please make your way through. Have a nice drink. We've got the Unity Service, Hastings Unity Service in here at 3 o'clock as well. So you're more than welcome to come and join us. You guys can be in the pre now and bring a sleeping bag and sit warm. It's up to you. But thanks for coming. Go and enjoy coffee. And we'll see you in the week. <laughs>